0: No matter where you find yourself tonight, no matter how you're doing, no matter what you've done, no matter what you believe, welcome to RUF. We want you to feel welcome here. RUF stands for Reform University Fellowship, one of the many campus ministries here at Watford College, trying to walk alongside you during these formative years of college, to walk alongside you to help you grow in your faith. We're trying to figure out how to love God and love others and love Wofford. But more fundamentally, we're a people bound by the reality that before we do anything else, God loves us. Before we love him, before we love our neighbors, before we love this college, God loves us. And so I hope that whether it's when we open the Bible and talk about Jesus or we're meeting over coffee with you, you're at RUF lunch with us, you're at common prayer with us, you're at fall conference with us, sign up right now, um, that you see from the Bible and experience in relationships that Jesus loves you, period. We never want to move on from that in RUF. This semester, we're, we're going through this series called Christ for Us. Christ for Us. We're doing kind of this greatest hits gospel survey where we see who Jesus is for us. We've seen that Jesus is our host, the parable of the great banquet. We've seen that Jesus is our shepherd. Where he feeds 5,000 people. And tonight we're going to see that Christ is our peace. Where he calms the storm for anxious disciples like me and like you. That's what we're going to see tonight. Christ our peace. Okay, over the summer I had one of these experiences. Where I was in an environment that should have been calm. But inwardly It was chaotic for me, like on my insides. And that location of calm was the beach. So me and Ivy and our daughter Annie, we gathered and we went to the 30A area where uh, Panama City and Destin are. It's wonderful, we go there every year. We're there with Ivy's family. And we get up on the first day, full day at the beach, I get up, I'm finishing my second cup of coffee, we're packing up the, go- the golf cart to take all of our snacks and chairs and umbrellas, all the stuff to the beach. And we're getting really excited. And it's kind of chaotic inside, but it's that, that sort of adrenaline pregame jitters of the beach This is gonna be wonderful, first full day. And I made this mistake. As I went inside to put my coffee cup up, I checked my email on my phone. I checked my email and here's what I read. I discovered, That I committed to preaching at two different churches on the same Sunday at the same time. Okay? Same Sunday, same time. I can't be at two places in once, and I'm a chronic people pleaser. And so I am freaking out in that moment. I'm panicking. Who am I going to let down? Who can cover for me? Will there be another, like, RUF campus minister that's so sad that all their students are gone and just needs to preach? to remember that they're a pastor. And so I, uh, I, that's what happens when y'all leave. we become depressed. Uh, we need <laughs> lots of counseling. <clears throat> so I text all my campus minister friends. We figured out it was fine. But in that moment, both the like chaos of the compulsive appro- approval of man people-pleasing, of how I'm wired and how God has made me, was undone by that moment. Who am I going to disappoint? And also... Who's going to cover for them? And then I'm supposed to be like this present husband and present dad and present brother-in-law and present plan to have this great beach day. Chaos, out of control on my insides. But I'm at the beach. It should have been calm. Have y'all had these experiences? We're like, it should be calm, but it is not calm. Y'all, it is week three or four or whatever. We've had these weird weeks. I don't know what week it is. It's our third large group. Um, so this is week three or four for y'all. I, I'm not even going to pretend with this many people here. Is it chaotic yet? Yeah. Yeah. Is it? Yes, it's chaotic. You tell me. All Thank you for being honest. Um, we don't have to pretend that it's not chaotic. God never invites us to pretend to be something that we're not. Never. And a version of Christianity that invites you to pretend, please run away from it not biblical it's not and so it is chaotic in a fallen world it just is and so when we look at our assignments our student organizations our relationships our commitments our to-do lists what are we doing for interim what are we doing this summer are we going to go to camp merrimack you should (laughs) what are we doing this summer like Y'all are planners, and I love love you for that. What's going on with my life? And it feels out of control. And you're trying to get your hands around it. I understand it. Because that's me as well. And you know what you and I want? We want calm. We want peace. And Jesus, with his friends, as they have a panic attack on this boat, says loudly and clearly, I'm your peace. Look no further. That's what we're going to see. I'm going to read the passage and we're going to walk through it. God is not silent. God of the Bible has spoken to us and speaking to us. He hasn't given us a book of rules to follow or a theology exam to ace. He's spoken to you and to me because He loves us. On that day when evening had come, He said to them, Let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was. And other boats were with them. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat, so that the boat was already filling. But he was in the stern, asleep in the cushion, in the basement of the boat. And they woke him and said, Teacher, do you not care that we're perishing? And he awoke. He rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased. And there was a great calm. And he said to them, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear and said to another, Who is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? Let me pray. Lord, we're grateful that you've spoken. You're not silent. We know your word is living and active because you are living and active. And yet we walk in here into this beautiful space and it feels chaotic inside, at least it does for me, I suspect I'm not alone. You know the ins and outs and nuances of our chaos because you know us inside out. How many hairs are on our head? No raindrop that fell from the sky today surprised you. You know exactly what you're doing with us. And I ask that by your spirit you would slow us down And we would hear from you in your word, and we would hear from the word made flesh. Our peace, Jesus Christ. Amen. Two points, chaos, calm. Chaos, calm, and then sort of application at the end. So uh, what are we going to do? Chaos, calm. Let's go to the first one. Chaos. I love reading from the Gospels, because when you read from the Gospels, they're such great storytellers, and you can just see it. The wind and the waves. can hear the boat, like, cracking. It's, it's so vivid. And I love how they tell these stories. Hurricane-level storm, the boat has no chance, chaos ensues out of control. That's what we're dealing with. And the chaos that they feel is a result of the danger of the storm. This is not a game. This is a life-or-death life situation. This is a hurricane-level storm And they see the water rising and panic ensues. Of course it does. And what the storm and the the danger of the storm is pushing the disciples to embrace is the fact that they don't have the resources to give themselves calm. They don't have the power in and of themselves in their circumstances and resources to make this storm stop. They don't have the resources. They're no match for this moment. And here's what's worse. Jesus is napping. Jesus is asleep. That's even worse, if not, it's definitely on par with, if not worse than the the danger of the storm. He's asleep. And what we read in verse 38, when they go down there, while they're having panic attacks and they're experiencing nausea with seasickness, they go down and they say, what a striking, and like, every time I read this, it's just so honest. Can you imagine, second person of the Trinity, this is what they say to him. Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? Jesus, do you not hear the storm that is about to kill us? Do you not care? We've always known you to care. Then why are you napping? Life is chaos, and in a fallen world it is, and it feels like God is asleep, or at least really far away, and apathetic, emotionally distant. God's people have found themselves in and over their, in over their heads like this. All the time they experience this. They all have. We could go through all kinds of biblical stories and the greatest hits of God's people failing and having to rely on the mercy of God. King David was on the run, running from his life. He was running from this maniacal king named Saul. You know he probably would... Like, God, You made all these promises. Do you not see this crazy man chasing me down? Do you not see this? Do you not care? Are you asleep? And then the Exodus, God's people in the Old Testament, when they got to that sea, and they heard the fury of the chariots of the Egyptians, and they looked back, and they saw the fury in their faces. This is life or death. Lord, do you not hear this? Do you not see this? You made promises. Why are you napping? You know they thought that. Jonah, in the belly of a fish, do you not see all that is around me right now in the belly? Are you napping? Elijah was a prophet at the end of himself before he heard this still, small voice. It's a really beautiful story. Do you not care? Are you not going to keep your word? That's David and Elijah and the Exodus. What about us? What about academic chaos right now? What about relational chaos right now? What about familial, family drama and conflict that you're trying to escape and take your mind off of, but it is at home and Thanksgiving's coming up, isn't it? And you're going to have to go back home and deal whatever, with whatever's at home. And I have the privilege when we sit down for coffee, you let me in on what's at home, and it's not all great It's not all great. That's David and Elijah in the Exodus. It's us. It's not just them. Poor Elijah. No, it's chaos for us as well. Jesus, do you not care that we're perishing? Do you see how lonely I am? Do you see how anxious I am? Have you not seen my panic attacks this semester? Have you not seen my roommate's eating disorder? Have you not seen the patterns that they have of cutting themselves, of me holding their hair back when they throw up and probably have to go get their stomach pumped because they're drinking so much? Do you not see this? Are you asleep? Is that you? Is that me? It is. And we don't have to pretend. Are you sleeping through my pain? I hate seasons of suffering because it feels like this. You made all kinds of outlandish promises. What are you even doing? I want to highlight a very overlooked fact of this before we go to calm. Life in a fallen world is not just chaotic for non-Christians, the world out there. These are disciples They left everything to get on this boat with Jesus, and he's napping, and they're about to die, okay? So uh, Christianity is a call to die. (laughs) Christianity is a call to be stretched. Christianity is a call to follow Jesus wherever. Who knows what might happen, okay? We know calm is going to happen. Let's go to that. I just want to highlight Christianity is not some, like, life's going to, you're not going to suffer anymore with Jesus, okay? I just want to highlight that. Okay, calm. That's chaos, Calm. Jesus wakes up. Thank God. He wakes up. And when he wakes up, he brings calm to the chaos in a way that only he can. And I want you to notice, we'll, we'll highlight this. What wakes Jesus up? It's not the storm. If you look there in the text, it's not there. He wakes up in verse 39. And it says, he rebuked the wind and the seas. He says, peace be still, and there's great calm. What wakes him up? The cries of his people. His people wake him up. He hears their cries. He hears your cries. And here's what's gracious about this. He doesn't have to respond. He was fine napping. Trinity's fine. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, they don't have to engage us. They're fine. But the movement of God is always to engage darkness, engage chaos. He's not overwhelmed by you. He's not overwhelmed by you. he wakes up we see the mercy in his response he doesn't it's mercy and i want you to see again that jesus is trying in the way that he's delaying and they're like jesus all right when are you going to wake up and they're getting more and more anxious and the boat's getting louder and louder they're getting stretched their faith they're getting stretched by jesus he wants them at a desperate place jesus is not going to be their buddy Jesus isn't a life coach for them. Jesus isn't a therapist for them. Love life coach. coaches, love therapists. Jesus is not that. Jesus is either either Savior or they're going to die. And he wakes up. And one, one word, there's calm. One, I love this, on he, the way that they're getting stretched. The disciples, the commentator says this, the disciples must enter in this terrible zone of bottomless distress where nothing stable can be clung to. In other words, they have to feel how out of control their situation is before they will rely on Jesus, before they'll cling to him. So you won't receive mercy from Jesus until you become a little child. Listen, they were competent, excited fishermen, and Jesus but makes them become scared little boys. And that's the point. That's the point. It is. And unless we become little scared little boys and girls with Jesus, there's nothing he can do for us. Because he's our buddy. He's our life coach. I don't need a life coach. I need a resurrection. I need someone to die for me. And I need someone to bring me calm. And that's what we have. Christ our peace. Listen to this. This is Eugene Peterson, I believe. I believe uh, his paraphrase of Jesus' kind of words of comfort and challenge to the disciples. Listen to this. I love this. Am I with you or not? Am I the Messiah or not? Have I not called you and brought you here? Okay, so why then can you not sleep with me in the certainty that all you believe about me is true, not only on firm ground, but also in the peril of untamed waves? It's fine that you believe me when everything's fine, but why don't you sleep with the certainty of knowing that I never sleep in the chaos? Challenge. And it's a gracious challenge from Jesus. So we see the mercy of his response. He gets up, one word, calm. But we also see the power of his voice. You see the power of Jesus' voice. God has a way with words. He just does. In the beginning of creation, God spoke the world into existence. And the same word that formed the waters of creation is the same word that silences the chaos of the storm. How? With his speech, with the power of his voice. That's what we see. And when Jesus spoke to his friend Lazarus after he died and his body was cold, one word, his friend, gets up and we see resurrection. When God speaks, dead hearts are made alive. When God speaks, who knows what's going to happen? 5,000 people might get fed. Water might turn into wine. You might be forgiven. You might have peace. Who knows what might happen? Because God's word, Jesus' words, is powerful because it's living and active. Because this man who's asleep is also the word made flesh, king of the world, lord of lords. There's power to his voice. There is a scene in Lion King. Let's talk about Lion King, okay? Let's take a breather. In Lion King, there's this scene where Simba future king of Pride Rock, while he was still a cub, goes to the elephant graveyard. Do you remember this? He goes there and there's creepy hyenas show up and they start mocking and wagging their heads at Simba. And Simba obviously is scared. He gets defensive and he roars at them but his roar is so puny and tiny and weak because he's still a young cub and they just like it provokes them more and more and the hyenas just keep mocking him. And out of nowhere, what happens? Rescue happens. Mufasa, Simba's dad, current king of Pride Rock, comes in and he rescues his son. How does he do it? He does it with a roar. He roars at them. And there's calm and they scatter. And there's salvation. I love that story. Um, <clears throat> remember the great scene with Mufasa, which I use so many other times when he gets, shows up with Muf- when Simba's having like this crisis of faith. Remember who you are? Other great scene. But in that moment, Mufasa is using the power of his voice that he exclusively has as the king for the good of his children. That's what's happening. So when Jesus uses the power of his voice in your life, here's what he's doing. He's using a power that he exclusively has. No one else can talk like this. Only the seas and the wind obey him. And he uses his voice to protect his children from all threats. And he essentially says, with his voice, with his cross and resurrection, when he gets up out of a graveyard, do not touch my children. Sin and death, don't touch my children. That's what he says. He uses his voice and his life to protect those that he loves. That's what we see. There's power to his voice. When my daughter Annie cries, it's like clockwork. If she just hears Ivy's voice, if she's in the other room, instant calm like clockwork. If Ivy's holding her or Ivy's in the room and she hears me coming home from work, instant calm. She knows exactly who protects Who is calm? Voice. There is a unique power and efficacy to my voice and Ivy's voice that only we have because we're our parents. It just is. There's power to Jesus' voice. A power that brings peace when we hear those words. All right. I'm going to land the plane with telling you about this lady. Her name is Jane Markeski. Jane Markeski was an, an applicant or a contestant on The Voice. And she goes, her sing, like artist's name was Nightbird. I don't know if you saw her. And she experienced um, having cancer several times before she was 30 and has suffered a ton in her life. And she happens to be a follower of Jesus. And she wrote a really powerful essay about how cancer and battling cancer stretched her in her faith. And I want you to just hear her words, and we're going to land the plane, okay? but I want y'all to hang in there with me. It's worth it. Little lengthy, please hang with me. She's, she has a beautiful voice. Here's what she says. I've had cancer three times now, and I've barely passed 30. I fear sometimes that when I die and meet with God, he will say that I disappointed him, offended him, or failed him. But here's what I do know. He can never say that he did not know me Because I'm God's downstairs neighbor banging on the ceiling with a broomstick. I show up at his door every day, sometimes with songs, sometimes with curses, sometimes with apologies, gifts, questions, and demands. I've called him a cheat and a liar, and I meant that. I've told him that I wanted to die, and I meant that as well. Tears have become my only prayers, prayers that roll over my nostrils and drip down my forearms. They fall to the ground as I reach for him. These are the prayers I repeat night and day, sunrise and sunset. You can call me bitter if you'd like. That's fair. Count me among the angry, the cynical, the offended, the heart hardened. But count me also among the friends of God. For I've seen him in rare form. I've felt his exhale, laid in his shadow, squinted to read the passage that he wrote for me in the sand. I'm sad too. If an explanation would help, he would give me one. I know that, but maybe an explanation would only start an argument between me and him. And I don't want to argue with God. I want to lay in a hammock with him and trace the veins in his arms. I look hard for the answers to the prayers that I didn't pray. I look for the mercy bread that he promised to break fresh bread for me each morning. The Israelites called that manna, which means what is it? And that's the prayer that I've been wondering, wanting to ask. What is it? I know there's mercy somewhere, somehow, but what is it? Almost done. I see mercy in the dusty sunlight that outlines the trees. I see mercy in my mother's crooked hands. In the blanket my friend left for me. In the harmony of the wind chimes. It's not the mercy that I asked for, but it is mercy nonetheless. And I learned a new prayer, thank you. It's a prayer that I don't mean yet, but I will repeat it until I do. Call me cursed, call me lost, call me scorn. but that's not all. Call me chosen, blessed, sought after. Call me the one who God whispers his secrets to. Because I'm the one whose belly is filled with the loaves of mercy that was hidden just for me. And on days when I'm not so sick, when I go lie on this mat... In the afternoon light, I listened for him, and I know that's crazy. I can't explain that. And I've heard that it's said that people can't see God because they won't look low enough, and that's true. If you can't see him, look lower because God is on the bathroom floor where she would vomit from chemo treatments. God is on the bathroom floor. God hears and answers those Who experience panic attacks? God answers and hears those with eating disorders. God answers and hears those who have been sexually assaulted. God hears and answers those who are grieving and confused and don't know what to do with their life. God is on the bathroom floor, out of control, the sea, no match for him. No match. He is anything but asleep. He can handle your chaos right here, right now, right where you are. Not when you pretend and clean yourself up. So what? Two things. Very quickly. Peace is not a strategy. Peace is a person. Peace is not a strategy. Y'all got all the strategies. I've got all the strategies. We can call it mindfulness. We can call it whatever we want to do with alcohol and food and drink and sexuality and with our bodies. It can be as religious (coughs) Or irreligious as you want. It can be as pharisaical, prodigal son as you want. But we have our strategies. It's out of control. Let me get my hands around it. And make peace happen on my own. Stop. 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 Peace is a person. Peace is a person... And the only way to experience him is if you give up the peace strategy stuff. It's goofy. And it's not biblical. The spiritual to-do lists or whatever you're like dreaming up now, how you want to escape with substantives this weekend or whatever it is, your escape strategies, your religious Pharisee strategies, give them up and throw yourself on him like these panic attack, anxious disciples. Get in the boat with them. You're in good company. Let me pray.